Welcome to the Not Sorry Art Podcast. I'm Sari Shrike, the artist and creator behind Not Sorry Art. I'm so excited to talk art and creativity with you. So grab a drink, grab a snack, and let's dive in. Hey y'all, welcome back to the Not Sorry Art Podcast. I'm Sari, thanks for being here. I could not be more excited about today's guest. This is an artist who I've admired from afar through social media for many years and have just so enjoyed watching their work grow and unfold and they're incredibly talented so I could not be more eager to spotlight them. Without further ado, today's guest is Sophie Pearson, an oil painter from Massachusetts whose work is a powerful reflection of their childhood and familial relationships, as well as the modern realities of living in a larger body. They earned their BFA from Lesley University in 2021, and Sophie is a working artist. They have a new solo show, Beneath the Memory, and it opens up in May at Art Worcester. All this to say, I hope you enjoy our conversation about Sophie's work and the powerful meaning behind it, and be sure to follow them on social media. They have an Instagram account, a TikTok, Patreon. I believe you can find them everywhere, but definitely check out their Patreon, and let's hop into today's episode. I also wanted to say that today's episode is sponsored by my book. I have a book coming out. I'm so proud of this, guys. Um, The links are already up. I'll have them in the show notes. But the book is called Modern Still Life, From Fruit Bowls to Disco Balls. It is my take on a step-by-step painting book. I am really excited about it. Not only does it have like motivational tips and tricks to keep you going in your practice, but it also has clear and beautiful and full color breakdowns of the step-by-step process in my paintings. So I could not be more excited about it. If you wanted to check it out, pre-order it, it would help me more than you even know. Hi, Sophie. Thank you so much for being here today. I am so beyond eager to chat with you. Thanks for being on my podcast. Yeah, I'm so excited. <laughs> Yay. Would you mind telling us a little bit about yourself? Um, yeah, so I am primarily an oil painter. I currently live in Massachusetts and, and my studio is out of my home here in Massachusetts in, in Worcester. Um, I've been painting probably since like my sophomore year in college. Uh, I, I have my BFA from Lesley University. I graduated in 2021. And um, yeah, I've been in love with oil paint ever since. Yes. And your artwork is so incredibly impactful. I found you through social media, like I have found most of my favorite contemporary working artists. And I was just completely captivated by your artwork. It's always tough. Podcasts are a challenging medium for interviewing visual artists, but I'll put some pictures of your work in the show notes. And I definitely recommend everyone follow Sophie, but your work really revolves around portraiture and um, you have a lot of work around the body and childhood and memories. And there's, you kind of have quite a bit of range over what you talk about. I feel like there are threads throughout your work that connect everything, themes of memory and mm-hmm. I, I'm wondering if you can talk about how that became part of your practice. I know it sounds like you started painting in college. So yeah. when did you first discover that this was something you were drawn to? And um, yeah, what are the threads that connect all of those together? Well, I feel like in college, obviously anyone who went to art school knows that like, especially if you're doing painting and figure painting, it's just models in the middle of the room. And there's not, even though, you know, you can have some kind of narrative within the the objects you put around them and stuff. It's not as, as personal as the stuff you get into on your own. And so I feel like for, for many years I was doing mostly just objective, you know, model figure painting in school, or I was doing self-portraits kind of, of, 
myself for like homework and stuff for those classes. And in doing those self-portraits, I kind of started to play a little bit more with, um, I don't know, expressing uh, individuality in my work rather than just trying to copy exactly what I was seeing. And a narrative, like I started to include my tattoos and, you know, other objects in the background and stuff like that. And um, I want to say it was probably my my junior year of college when I started leaning more into self-portraiture because of the pandemic. So um, I, pandemic started March, 2020. That was right mm-hmm. smack in the middle of my junior year. Oh no, so oh, literally so bad. Oh, yeah. anyone who is in like, I know a lot of programs were affected, but man, visual artists during that, like, especially like traditional artists that I, that I can't even fathom how hard that must've been. Yeah. Yeah. It was rough. We had, um, it was spring break, right. When, when everything went down and the week before spring break, we had just gotten our studios. Oh, no. <laughs> so it was literally like we got our studios and all my friends and us were like setting everything up or like decorating or, or painting or whatever. And then we're like, Oh, we're just going on spring break. And then we never went back. And then you so. never went back. Oh, it's like a <laughs> horror story, truly. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, I bet that that was, you know, in so many ways, like you're kind of forced into this isolation and you're forced to sort of look at yourself, both literally and metaphorically. I can't imagine what that was like. Do you think it really pushed you in the direction you ended up going? Or do you think you would have ebbed that way, even if you had that studio practice with with everyone else? I think I would have ended up that way regardless. I think it would have taken longer because in my my studio, I think the first painting I made that was like really um, vulnerable, I would say, and not even necessarily narratively, but just visually was I did my first ever like nude self-portrait. And the only reason I could make that was because I was at home and no one was, no teachers were over my shoulder looking at my reference photos. And like, you know, there was no way I would have been able to do that if I was in school. So I think that I probably would have gotten there eventually, but I, I can imagine it would have taken until I graduated to like actually be able to make those more um, exposing kind of. Yeah. Deeper body of work. Well, it's so interesting too, because I always hear like the plus sides of having like more community as an artist. And certainly I'm not putting that down or saying that that isn't a fantastic thing. But I think what's so interesting about every artist and their practice being so different is that I feel like, like you said, you found the, a body of work that really spoke to kind of your personal mission and your interests from that privacy. And I think it's a really good testament that like, as an artist, you have to find a way to balance between seeking community and seeking people who appreciate your work. And yet a really uh, like strong boundary of having that personal ability to explore in that r- incredibly intimate way. I think that's such a a testament to how versatile you have to be as a visual artist. Yeah. Yeah. And especially with how we were, you know, I was having classes that I was getting checked in on with my works and progress and stuff like that, like once or twice a week or something. Right. But all of those actual moments of making the work was completely in solitude. So I had this like complete freedom to not worry about critique for these, like, you know, several days at a time. And then I'd have the check-in and the teacher would say whatever the teacher says. And then I'd go back to doing everything on my own. And so, yeah, there definitely was like, like some freedom in that solitude. And I think I personally thrive from it a lot. Yeah. And it's so interesting because like in an age of like social media where, you know, in order to kind of benefit and promote and do all the things, the marketing needs of being an artist, there is such a desire to push, 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 put things out there, put a work in progress out. And, Mm -hmm. you know, we're kind of veering off of like my my questions for you, but I think this is so interesting where, you know, there it's a really good testament to privacy. There's value in privacy and you don't need to share everything, like certainly not right away. 
But I feel like where that used to maybe be a given as a visual artist, even as recently as like 10, 15 years ago, now that feels like something you have to push for. And I, I just really appreciate your example of that. And I, I'm curious, I guess, like how has that affected now that you are like a working career artist and you do have such like vulnerable and honest, and I think that's what makes your artwork really touching work. Like how do you balance that boundary of like so much of it is so personal and raw? And then when do you think it's a, like for you personally, is it good for you to share? And how do you, how do you navigate that? Yeah. So that was actually like a, a big issue I had. And I want to say like right after I graduated, because during school, I was constantly checking in with teachers. I was checking in with my peers. Um, you know, it was like constant communication and feedback basically. And, um, when I graduated, I, I lost all of that. <laughs> I had, you know, it was like, yeah. I still had friends obviously that I would send my work to, but a lot of the friends that I had in college stopped creating after we graduated or took breaks. And so I kind of lost that like group that I had built. And, um, so I started posting to social media and I posted everything I did. Yeah. <laughs> it was like every single time I was in the studio, I was either filming myself or I was taking pictures before, after, or during. I was like, like documenting everything and everything I documented went on the internet. <laughs> and, um, it, after a while, I just kind of realized like, this is really draining yeah. <laughs> kind of literally daily, several times a day, like putting myself out there and getting comments. And it, at the time it, I, you know, I had what, like 200 followers or something across the platform. So it was a different, you gotta you know, start somewhere. Platform. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah. And then I, I kind of, I wouldn't say I had like a burnout of it, but more just kind of an epiphany of like, this isn't actually beneficial to me. Mm. And that's when I started my Patreon, not to like plug my, no, <laughs> do it. Yeah. It's like, I'll go away. This, it, this much smaller community of people that it kind of like, I still love documenting my work and, and talking about what I'm doing and sharing that with people, but it's like, you know, 15 people instead of potentially whoever, you know, yeah. in the whole world. Anyone. Yeah, exactly. So it, it's a lot less draining that way. So I still keep up with that and share that, but it's in this like specific place and on things like Instagram and, um, you know, my public platforms, I only share pretty much finished pieces or like you know, little like mm. snippets of something. Cause I, I just, it feels nice to keep those things a little bit more intimately to me and that like small group of people. Yeah. That's, that's really interesting. I know I'm going to think about that for a few days because <laughs> I know, I know when people are listening to this, I, there's a handful of artists out there who are maybe a little more introverted and they are making art about things that are really personal and, mm. you know, kind of to your point, like there's something so vulnerable and really scary and risky in a lot of ways of like putting something out there, especially something you haven't fully processed yet. And then someone randomly coming across it. And I know that that even in and of itself keeps a lot of people from posting. And I, and I, when people come to me with that problem, I'm always like, I don't know what, to like, that's hard. Like that's, va that's valid. That's fair. Like I understand that sensation. I think it's so smart to have that separation and, and creating a Patreon. Um, I want to dive into more of like the meaning of your art. So I'm veering mm -hmm. Just ever yeah. so slightly here, but could you walk me through kind of like um, what that looks like and like how is that like has that been financially beneficial and just like more about that process and that decision? Yeah. So originally it came from, um, I moved into the house that I'm in right now that has my own like personal studio out of a really small apartment about two years ago. Yeah, and when I did that, that was when, thank you. <laughs> That's when I was like, I'm, I'm going to go full-time and I'm going to put all of myself into like, you know, creating this like uh, 
following or something. And and that was very short-lived, that like passion for that, because I just found it to be too much. But part of that was like, I need to make a Patreon because I need to make money off of like what I'm doing. I need to be able to sustain myself. And quickly realized that like, it wasn't going to be this giant moneymaker. I do not make very much from Patreon and very little, but it, um, it's still just like a really nice place to kind of compile everything. And like, even I go back and scroll through my Patreon, just to like, look, I'm like, wait, what did I do a few weeks ago? And I like, you know, I go back and look at it and, and, you know, I don't get like a ton of interaction out there. I get messages from people and stuff sometimes, but I know that, you know, people are looking and lurking mm-hmm. and yeah. stuff like that. Um, but it's mostly just like, I'll post my works in progress. I'll post like post pictures of my palette there sometimes like just documenting the little parts of of being an artist and like I'll put life updates you know I I I always post about if I'm gonna have shows coming up or something like that I'll post them there first so there's kind of like basically it's if you look back I've had it for a couple years now and it's kind of just this timeline of my journey as an artist for the past couple of years so yeah. It almost feels like a virtual journal in the way you're describing yeah. it. And like, there's a little bit of a vetting process of who's privy to that. And, mm-hmm. you know, if the silver lining is that you generate enough income to like maybe validate your time or your, um, your supplies, I still think that's such a huge win, especially if you boil down, like, what is the purpose of an artist? Like you're sharing parts of like your heart and your soul and your mind, um, with anyone who's receptive to it. And then like, there's a mutually beneficial thing that happens there. And I feel like it really sounds like in a lot of ways you've managed to like distill kind of like the nourishing part of art and audience in a way that, you know, is sustainable for you in some capacity. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Which is why it kind of went from being something that I thought was going to be this moneymaker into something that has turned out to be, I would say, probably more beneficial to me than it is anybody else. But oh, I yeah. love that. Yeah. No, and I, I, um, I'll have to follow you on Patreon. <laughs> um, but I love that's one of the things is like, I love following artists on Patreon. And it doesn't mean I always like, check in all the time. But even the fact that like, if I have a busy few months and I know that for those three months, I was able to like, you know, for 1099 or 2099 or whatever, was able to help that artist kind of keep going. Like that's such a, it's not for everyone, obviously, but I yeah. find it to be a really rewarding thing. And I think my hope is that when more people realize how valuable artists are, that that will continue to be something that people choose to invest in. So <laughs> thank you for sharing that. But I wanted to talk more about uh, your work. It's it's beautifully poignant and it revisits family photos from your childhood. I will say I love all of your work individually, but that the body of work around childhood brings tears to my eyes. Like it's one of those things where like I will look at it and then I'll save it and I'll come back to it later so I can really look at it. It's such an incredible, all of your work is incredible, but for me personally, I'm projecting because that's what, you know, I think it's a fantastic body of work Um, and a particular focus on your father's relationship. Um, Could you share with us like what inspired you to explore that? I know it's still figurative, so it's still like thematically cohesive with all of your work, but if you wouldn't mind sharing like where, like when did you decide to paint those family photos and like you, they're not like just perfect interpretations. There's a lot of stylized, you know, aspects to them. Could you walk us through a little bit of that? Yeah. Um. So the first time I ever did a painting from when I was a child using like an old photo was, uh, I think it was by the beginning, pre-COVID junior year of college. Mm-hmm. And I had um just a photo that was like uploaded to Facebook or something from when I was maybe six or seven. And I made this giant 
five by five foot <laughs> painting yes. of me. And I've since painted over it. It was, it was not my best work, but um, that was the first time that I was like, no, I kind of like doing this. And then I realized, you know, I needed to work on my technical skills a little bit before I went back to that kind of project. But so that was quite a few, few years ago, that was 2020. And I had kind of been sitting with that idea for like a really long time, like knowing that I had this desire to go back into childhood photos, but not really knowing what, why I mm-hmm. wanted to go into them so much. And um, at some point, I want to say in, in 2022-ish, I had kind of finished, felt like I finished this like body of work of, of body image kind of related mm-hmm. topics. And I just, I I felt like I was done with it, but I had kind of created this almost sense of like purpose with it because it was all the work that I had made. It was the work that went viral a few times. It was the the work that people loved. And I was like, I don't know what to do because I'm scared that if I start to make stuff that's different, people aren't going to like it or they're not going to connect with it or it's, you know, something's going to happen. And, um, but I kept coming back to this idea of like childhood photos talk. And so then my mom brought over um, a couple giant boxes of photos. Nice. That she had. <laughs> yeah. And so I spent, they were, they were very dirty and very gross. And I spent many hours sat on my living room floor, like with gloves, sorting through these disgusting photos. Oh and, and I sorted them all by like photos of just me photos. Cause most of them, it was mostly a, a shrine to Sophie via my Aww. mother. It's um, so but, sweet though. Yeah. <laughs> um, it was mostly photos of just me. And then like me with either my dad or me with my mom or me with both of them. And then, um, you know, there were some random photos of like old houses that I grew up in and stuff like that. And, um, so going through all of them, I was like, okay, there's a lot of photos of me with like just my dad or just my mom. And I kind of scanned all of those to my computer and sat with them for like a few months. It's like, I was like, okay, this is where we're kind of getting somewhere. And then started the ideating process of like, what visually do I want to do with these images? Like, I know that I have some kind of connection to them and I know that I want to put them in paint and I know that I'm done making work about body image for now, but I just, I don't really know where to go. And then it just kind of like, I'm sure I saw someone else do something somewhere somewhere. And that's kind of where it clicked. I wish I could name who it was, but, um, the cutting out of the figure, I was like, I don't really want to paint my dad. You know, like, I don't really want to, I don't want to do that, but I want to paint me and I want to paint these moments and I want to explore how I felt about these moments and how I feel looking back on them. But I don't want to put my father's image out into the world, especially like without his consent and without, you know, yeah, it just felt weird. And so I was like, I'm just going to cut him out. (laughs) And like that's pretty simple and and then the replacing him with the color red was kind of like I I was thinking okay I have to fill the space somehow I have to do something with that empty space that negative space and Mm -hmm. um that's poignant even even I know that was a casual but the negative space it's like in our world term and yet like nothing embodies that relationship probably better (laughs) (laughs) that's funny I'm gonna have to use that yeah (laughs) Name the whole series negative space and like let the art art majors geek out to that one. That's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, But what a good solution though. And I, you know, this is, you're describing something that like sometimes is like people think that artists like have it all figured out in their head before they paint it. And like, certainly that can happen. Like Mm -hmm. you can kind of picture it and then translate it. But a lot of times it's just like 
going like without a, a super solid plan. You're like, okay, something about this body of work. I'm, I'm wanting to do these photos. And then you sit with it and then you finally get them kind of painted in or blocked in. And you're like, I don't want to block that part in. And it's not always as like clear cut. Like it's like it, it almost like you're just problem solving. You're like, you're slowly, I don't know, getting closer to what it ends up being. And I think you're describing this process absolutely beautifully. I'm curious, like, so you filled them in with red and in some instances there are scribbles over it, which is so beautiful because I think of like childhood, I think of, I have a three-year-old and she's in like super scribbler phase right now and she loves it and I love it and it's great. But I think it just evokes that like childlike, like frustration and joy even. It's not like, I mean, you paint because there's no words for it. I mean, at least that's why I do. And I feel like it, it encompasses that feeling so beautifully. I'm, I'm curious, like, when did you know that the that painting, the first one you did of your dad and you um, was done? And then what did it feel like to look at that? So the first one I did was um, I'll Remember You as Red, which is a, is a painting of, of him holding me. And it's just basically our, our heads next to each other. And um, that one, it was like, it was smaller. It was like 16 by 20 or something. I'm used to working much larger. And so it was kind of like this little experiment of like, mm-hmm. I'm just going to test out this idea and like, see how it goes. Ooh, and then I hit my laptop. Here um, <laughs> uh, and so once I kind of got the, 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 the painting down, I was thinking like, I want to add something to this that is a little bit more, um, visceral kind of like you know you can kind of like feel those like it's oil pastel but I wanted it to look like crayon as much as possible you know it has this like chalky Mm -hmm. quality to it and um actually I have absolutely no idea how to say her name um but I'm going to spell it if this was um a-u-r-o-r-e and then her last name is d-i-n-w-o-o-d-i-e she is a painter based out of Boston Mm -hmm. And, um, we had been, I I think she had posted on, on TikTok or something, a painting that she did of childhood photos. And she had kind of used oil pastel over the top of them to like color in some spaces and, Mm. and do some stick figure kind of outlines. And so she was what inspired directly that, that use of oil pastel. And so I kind of just scribbled around a little bit and played with it. And that piece was kind of just an experiment and, um, played around until I felt like it wasn't too much but it was like enough of visual interest to kind of do something and uh then that was the only one that I also wrote words on the bottom of as well with the the oil pastel I wrote the title in and after I wrote the title I was kind of just like I think I'm done with this experiment like you know I'm gonna put this out there and that was actually going back to what I said about being so afraid that my audience at the time which was not very busy at the time either but uh, wasn't going to connect with what I was making. Mm-hmm. Um, I put it out on a, a random Facebook group and like, I can't even remember what the group was and it, it got a few thousand likes and I was like, Oh, people like it. And I didn't put any context. That was, what was important. I didn't put any context. I just put the title, put the medium, the size and threw it out there. I was like, let's yeah. see what happens. Yeah. And people like got it, like knew what it was about. And that's kind of when I decided like, okay, this painting's done. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I'm ready to move on to like physically larger pieces and make this thing. Isn't it amazing when people get it? Like you, you go to school, you train to be an artist. A lot of times what you're doing when you're in art school, and I know not every program is the same, but um, is you're learning how to like, just use visual language. You know, it's like, you're learning a language. And then the first time you go to speak that language and the native speaker understands you, you're like, 
whoa, like what is this is magic. This is like alchemy. Like what even is this? And so, I mean, I don't know about you, but for me, it never isn't absolutely amazing when you make something and you're unsure and you're like, I don't know if people are going to get this and they get it. You're just like, you levitate off the ground for like a couple of days. Like it's truly wild. And especially with something that like sensitive, you know, I, 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 I love, and I hate that people relate to it because it is, you know, you're, you're reflecting on, and I think the beautiful thing about it is people can project their own personal things onto it. Uh, but you know, you've made a lot of posts about like growing up with an angry man. And I, is it your quote or did you get it from somewhere where you said like, that when you, not me. okay, that it's <laughs> a good quote though. And it, <laughs> it, it marries to your work beautifully, but it's when you grow up with an angry man, he, like he always lives in your head or something like that. Is that, I'm getting it wrong. Right. Grow up with an angry man in your house. There will always be an angry man in your house or something. It's something along those lines. Yes. Yes. And oh my gosh. I mean, even just now, like full body chills, that's been, you know, one of the hardest things for me to process is I've, I grew up with a violent alcoholic dad. And so he was always there, but he, I didn't always want him to be there. And I always feel bad about that. It's a complicated emotion. Um, but I feel like your work in a lot of ways gives me permission to feel that way of like, okay, he is there, you know, but like, you know, what does that look like? And again, we're getting out of the territory where I even have words to describe it. That's the beauty of art. But, you know, I'm curious when other people connected to it, like, how did it make you feel about it? What was that experience like? Oh, gosh, it was really weird because I, I genuinely I had put just the image out. And and again, there was just no context. And the painting itself, like, you know, like we said, it's its own language, but it, it it also, it didn't have specifics, right? Like you can't look at the image and see specifically what happened to me or, or anything like that. But then people were commenting like, oh, this is about alcoholism. And I was like, yeah, whoa. Okay. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> and, and, you know, like, like people had these like specific thoughts about it. And I was like, oh my God, like people like really, like it resonates like really hard with the people who, who have been through similar things. And it was just very, kind of surreal to to see that that people would understand it without me having to explain myself because I think even in like in in art school we're taught that the painting should speak for itself but also we're taught how to write an artist statement and we're taught how to talk about our work and we're constantly explaining it in critique so it's like we're taught to explain ourselves but also to not have to yeah and so I think I kind of like expected that, especially with social media and like Instagram having, you know, putting a caption and stuff, I was expecting to always kind of have to tell people what my work was about and explain it with like really gory details in order for people to understand it or connect with it. And learning that I didn't have to do that was like, it was pretty magical to, to make that realization, you know? Yeah, definitely. And I I totally, I'm so glad you brought that up and pointed it out. Like that honestly could be its own episode of like, you know, <laughs> why do you have to let work stand on its own? Why do you also have to explain it? You know, I think that's a tough thing about being a, an artist on social media is a lot of times the gallery created the context, like even just being, even if there's not like that vinyl sticker on the front with an artist statement, if your artwork is in a nice enough gallery that does conceptual art, people walk in and they're like, great, the game I'm playing is this is conceptual. What does it mean? And I feel like Mm -hmm. social media has like a leveling effect where sure you might be reaching artists, but you're also going to reach someone who doesn't have any media literacy. I'm not putting them down. We just don't have enough media literacy in our culture. And you have to kind of always over explain. In fact, that's something I, I'm sure I'm not alone in this, but really struggle with it. Like 
you know, not everyone is meant to get things and having to kind of constantly explain and over explain yourself. I only learned like the last few years of therapy that is very much a trauma response. <laughs> and I think sometimes I, I'm drawn to like, well, why did I choose a job where I'm always having to over explain myself? But on that note, um, I, I'm curious, like, how, how do you maintain boundaries? And like, how do you deal with like, I'm what's amazing about your work is a lot of people do get it. And a lot of people do relate to all of your different bodies of work. But like, how do you navigate when people don't get it? Or when they are, when they miss the mark? Like, do you take breaks? Do you filter? Like, I'm just curious. (laughs) That is a a question. I feel like my therapist has asked me in the past. Um, uh, It's, it's a, I mean, it depends, you know, every once in a while, like I definitely have plenty of comment filters on so Good. many Good. Probably yeah. dozens of words that, you know, some of which are, I probably don't need to filter, but I do just in case, because yeah. I, I, I've been through it with, you know, having a video on specifically like Instagram or YouTube shorts, yeah. people are, yeah. a, it's a different kind of hell to have your Instagram yeah. really reach the wrong audience, but oh, it's awful. Um, yeah. Uh, I feel like it's kind of, I've noticed this cycle in the past like year or so where like, there'll be a few months where like, I'm consistently posting and like, you know, everything's doing mediocre. And then like a video will go viral, you know, I have all of a sudden I have four or 5 million views and then it'll start off with like the, my followers or something, you know, like the the kind people, the people who are people who get you. Yeah. who follow me for a reason and stuff and then after a while of being there it'll reach the people who don't follow me the you know the people who don't agree with what I'm doing whether it be a a body image related thing or you know whatever and when it gets to that point it's kind of a a a moment of like okay I need to get off social media for a minute I need to you know I'm setting these rules for myself of like okay I'm allowed to be on social media for like half an hour a day yeah. And I need to put my phone away or um, not allowed to read comments. A lot of the times I'll just tell myself comments are off limits. You can go on stuff, but you can't check your comments. Yeah. Uh, handing the phone to my wonderful husband yeah. who will go through comments and delete them and block people for me. I have, like, uh, I have done that too. I just, I'm with you on that one. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's really, I, I feel very grateful and lucky to have a partner who's willing to do the tedious task of like getting rid of the, the people who are unkind, but um and sometimes like with YouTube, I kind of just set a hard, fast rule with like, if I'm going to post something on YouTube, I never check YouTube comments. If you yeah. try to reach me on YouTube, I'm not answering. That's fair. <laughs> That's totally fair. Because yeah. I have gotten all sorts of different um, folks yeah. say all sorts of different things. Yeah. YouTube is a particularly, it's, it's tough. Cause like as, a, as an artist, you kind of have to be able to, it's like casting a net. You have to be able to cast a wide yeah. net. Like, yeah, you might get a bunch of comments that are completely unwarranted and out of pocket, but you also might reach a collector who buys something original. And it's like this, I don't even know this, like, we're going to look back and think about how barbaric it was, but this whole model of trying to sell your art, but, but, you know, it is something that if you want to be a career artist, you kind of have to, I guess you don't have to, you don't have to do anything, but it's heavily incentivized to at least mm-hmm. attempt to put your artwork kind of in all the ecosystems. But I am with you. The fact that YouTube is a particularly kind of spooky place for reels. I mean, the long form content over there is actually pretty fantastic, but uh-huh. reels or not the reels, I guess they're called shorts. Yeah. <laughs> um, are really <laughs> stressful. Um, but I wanted to to ask you kind of getting back to your body of work, uh, body of work, which is again, another fantastic, I think I found you through, 
through those pieces. And, uh, you know, I was immediately drawn in and, you know, I, it's something I think about a lot because I think that's an area where we have kind of some overlap with our different, the different kinds of art that we make. So one Mm -hmm. thing that I'm really kind of interested in and passionate about is food and how we portray people's worth through food. Um, Mm -hmm. I grew up very low income below the poverty line. And, um, you know, I, I received food assistance as a kid. And I remember like I would go to the grocery store and we'd buy like you know, mostly we bought like beans and rice because we were really poor. But my mom, you know, she had three kids and it was like the late 90s and early 2000s. So we got like Pop-Tarts and Oreos and Funyuns and things like that. And there would always be one cashier who we dreaded. (laughs) And she had a little like Jesus button on her and she was always so unkind. But she, you know, would say really unkind things about our food choices. And I think it was in that moment that I realized how loaded it was. And even though I've navigated the world in an incredibly privileged body, which always to me feels kind of insane because a body is a body. Like it's, you know, I, I, I've seen some of the negative comments you get and it makes no sense because how do you, you know, it's like people get mad at you for something you do, but how do you do body? Like you're, you just live in what you live in. And I work really hard to raise my kids in a completely body neutral environment. It, but it's, you know, it's something I think about where people project a lot of societal frustrations onto what we perceive as choices that we can make about our food and how that is, you know, permeates through class and all kinds of different things. And I guess I'm trying to get to a point with a question, but I'm just curious if you've ever sensed any of that overlap and like what you feel about, you know, how people project what they think about someone, like if you've experienced that with your artwork, I guess. Yeah. I mean, I feel like most of the time when a video goes like quote unquote viral or like I have a a, a post that does particularly well, it's usually about those pieces um, and just that body of work in general. And um, it's usually because, like I said, it's that cycle of like the people who like it and then it, it hits that audience. And when it hits that audience, a lot of people who are fat phobic and cruel are are not afraid to say it and express how they feel. Um, and it, I... I feel like there's such an inherent connection between like body politics and um, obviously poverty and food and access and, and, and everything. And I kind of grew up in an environment that was, it was, I say that I grew up in an environment where I was fortunate enough to, to have the privilege of not going without food, but I grew up with parents who did not have the privilege of going Mm. with food. And so I had parents who were kind of in this poor mindset still, but had quite a lot of money, um, but didn't want to spend it. And so it was kind of this, this like really, scarcity. Um, yeah. Yeah. Scarcity mindset, but without the scarcity. <laughs> so yeah. it was this kind of interesting mishmash of um, parents who, who tried to take care of me, but also didn't really know how, and then had their own triggers and their own traumas. And, and so, and also tried to do bodybuilding for a while before I was born, which oh, is its own monster, but they, yeah. So it was, it was just a, a childhood of like growing up with, um, with a lot of mixed messages, mm-hmm. I guess. And so when it comes to like my work, I feel like sometimes I can see it from those different perspectives. Like sometimes I can, I see where someone's coming from when they're being really fat phobic because I was in that mindset at one point in my life. I was taught to think that way at one point in my life and I get it. I will never understand the desire to put it out there publicly and, and yeah. say it to people that I do not get. And I will, I will never, ever get, but you know, it, it's, 
I don't know. It, it's complicated. I was asked a, a question similar to this in, in another interview and it's, it's just talking about your body on the internet when you're someone who visually doesn't appeal to a lot of people is fairly terrifying. Yeah. I, and I, go well, in a way that feels just, I you know, I'm not trying to interrupt, but in a way that feels yeah. like so completely like not in alignment with so many of where a lot of our values are going. And I think mm -hmm. a lot of it comes down to people perceive it as choice when if you do any of the study of like the research around it isn't necessarily the case. You know, mm -hmm. I have this kind of like frustration and anger and pit in my stomach. First, I don't know that I could make a lot of commentary around food and class if I was in a bigger body without constantly mm -hmm. listening backlash. I get some, but I know for a fact that if I occupied a bigger body, um, that I would have a hard time with that artwork. And I always have like a really mixed message around it where I still want to get the message of like, you know, food is neutral. You know, the the health issues caused by poverty are thus all the data shows that it's stress, it's exploitation, it's lack of sleep. And it isn't necessarily the nutritional uh, choices. And I'm pretty passionate about it. There's a girl on, oh, she's a doctor. Um, I will include it on YouTube here and I will include it in the show notes. Her name is like Jess something MD. But she talks a lot about like um, food politics and poverty uh, and how it intersects with with race even. And like how oftentimes uh, minority communities will be targeted with ads around drinking sugar when the data doesn't necessarily back that up. And so there's a lot there. And I think I, I you know, I want to be careful because I don't think the onus is on you to figure out why the world is so broken. I think the onus is on all of us to figure out how to stop that completely barbaric, unkind, un it doesn't even do anything. It doesn't push the needle. It doesn't help anyone. Like nobody, I, yeah, anyways, I I don't need to ramble, but you know, it just feels like I, I don't want to put you too much on the spot because I don't think the onus is on you to figure out why people are like that. I think the onus is on us to make sure that that kind of behavior isn't acceptable. And I think more specifically on, you know, social media, the moderators, like, I don't know why it isn't categorized, you know, the hate that, you know, larger bodies receive as just as bad as a lot of the other forms of hate. I guess I don't understand that, but maybe that's my naivety um, in regards to that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But yeah. yeah. The, the last, I, I know I've heard this before, this is not my own words, but one of the last socially acceptable forms of, of, of hate. <laughs> basically yeah. you know like it's it's so normal to to have someone walk up to you and and tell you that you're not worthy of living because you look a certain way which is just insane but yeah a hundred percent and that's I mean I think that's why your artwork is so important is because you're just by showing up and kind of like you know with the belt and the one where you're sitting on the floor like it's you like you feel that like i don't know it's just it's i think that's why all the more reason why your artwork is incredibly powerful and i think that is you know the unfortunate side of like why your artwork resonates with so many people because it is such a wound because we don't do more to prevent that kind of harassment because i i guess we think that it's something that we can control when it that's not necessarily that's not and who why would you need to i yeah anyways but i think that's why your artwork is incredibly powerful is because of how rampant, you know, unfortunately that bias is in our culture. Um, yeah. But yeah, I just thank you for making your artwork. <laughs> just have another <laughs> moment to say that. <laughs>
Um, I have another question for you, though. For artists who are dealing with their own traumas and, you know, whether it's something that, you know, we've talked about so far in this podcast or something else that feels really vulnerable, like maybe another, you know, intersection that feels like doesn't get enough attention and there is like risk of sharing about it online. Like, Do you have any what you would consider like advice or anecdotes or things that help you when you're navigating um, talking about things that are so personal or even posting those things on the internet, either one of those? Um, I can't ask this. This is probably the most common question I get asked, like in my DMs, you know, mm. from like younger artists or, um, or, or people who are just starting out with like posting their art and, and make things that are a little bit more personal. Um, and my advice is usually just only do what you're comfortable with. <laughs> Don't post stuff because you feel like you have to. If you're like I, I said, I used to post literally every single photo I took of my work. And um, that, I think that was almost like a compulsion of, of you know, feeling like I, I had to do something because it's what you're supposed to do. And there's nothing that you're supposed to do. If you make yeah. art and it's it's really personal to you and you don't want to post it, that's fine. <laughs> Yeah. But if you do want to post it, you know, maybe something that I, I've done a lot is consuming a lot of other media, like in other forms, like music or um, movies or books. Um, somebody's daughter by, I don't remember her last, her name, but um, somebody's daughter, a memoir mm. uh, is a wonderful book that basically exposes me to other people who are having these like difficulties or, or being brave enough to speak about abuse that they faced or trauma that they had um, in their art. Mm. So like Conan Gray is, is a big one for me. Like he has several songs that are about specifically his like parental abuse. And to me, consuming that kind of media is um, empowering in the way that I feel more comfortable talking about my own stuff, just because I'm seeing like, okay, well, they're doing it. And like, you know, their parents are still alive and are probably seeing this, but they're still posting it. Why can't I do the same thing? Yeah. You know? And so I feel like if there is a certain topic that you, you want to post about, but you don't necessarily feel comfortable doing, just seeing other people do it is, you know, just a reminder that it's possible. And that like, you know, you're not going to fall flat on your face. And <laughs> if you do it, it's not going to be the end of the world. Everything will be okay. Yeah. Oh, that's beautiful. That really is incredibly beautiful. The book, um, Somebody's Daughter, a memoir by Ashley C. Ford. Is that correct? Okay. Fantastic. That's such good advice. You know, that's kind of, I think, a more eloquent version of what I tend to direct people towards, which is, you know, on one hand, I say, don't share what you haven't processed to some degree. Like, I would always encourage people, it doesn't mean you have to be, there's, I don't know that fully processing is even a thing. I mean, maybe I'm naive. Yeah. It's hard. I don't think I've ever fully processed anything. I think I have, and then I'll grow or my kids will do something uh -huh. or I'll change and I have <laughs> to start over, which is fun and lovely. But I would say like, when it feels like it's still like pulsing and red and raw, mm -hmm. take a beat, take, just sit with it, maybe make the art and, and, and make it a draft, even if you need to, and just press pause on it for a little bit, mm. like you will heal, you will grow through it. Like there is, if you can stick around long enough, you will heal. And I like, I think about that a lot. And on the other side, what you said and articulated it so much better than I've ever, ever thought to is stay connected with artwork that makes you feel brave. And yeah. I remember when I was 18, I read Glass Castle and it was the first time I had oh, read some, 
such a good book. Very similar to how I was raised. My dad was like an alcoholic who wanted, who was a self-taught physicist and generational poverty. And he, he didn't have blueprints, but he had his physics that he would sit down and go over for hours. And, you know, my Mm -hmm. mom, you know, domestic violence, the whole thing. And so I read Glass Castle and I remember how important it felt to me, like in a way where it's like, it made me feel like I could keep going. And, and, and I just remember how, like, even if I never become an artist, like how much it mattered that that existed. And Mm -hmm. I, that's what I think of when I I get ready to post something again, make sure it's not pulsing red. (laughs) And then when you're ready, just be like, try to embody how brave, you know, the person who came before you needed to be to hit, hit post or hit publish or hit send. And then remember that posting things that are heavy is a lot of energy and give Mm -hmm. yourself adequate rest take time off. Don't worry about algorithms. If you need to go AWOL after posting something traumatic, then you take care of yourself yeah. and you, you yeah. value your mental health. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's advice. I, I think I need to take more often because I, I definitely have the habit of posting something and then my, my OCD brain. And I, I don't say that in like a, I actually have OCD. Ernest. Yes. <laughs> yeah. My, my OCD brain is like, okay, numbers, 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 refresh, refresh, refresh. And I have to yeah. like literally physically take my phone and like put it in another room and say, yeah leave it. <laughs> I really, it. Yes. Yes. There's a trick where if you put your phone on black and white on grayscale, like it keeps you from being quite so addicted to it. And I, oh, I'll yeah. say, yeah, it does. It takes some of the dopamine out of it, but yeah, that's, it's fantastic. The uh, last question I want to ask you is about your future because I am like such a big Sophie believer. Like I am like so genuinely excited about your career and your artwork. Oh no, I, I'm not even, I'm not, it's not a stretch or a compliment. I mean it in the most earnest way. Like you are a rock star. So I'm curious, like what, what's on your, like, I don't know, vision board or what, what do you have kind of like long-term, like, what are some things that kind of keep you going that you're interested in in different roads you want to travel down? Like, what is, what is your like 10 year from now future kind of look like? Okay. So I was actually asked this question recently too. And my, my answer is that I have no idea. I have no clue. I was definitely, I don't know if you saw that trend on TikTok recently that was like me cutting fruit for my kid because the world didn't end when I was 17 or whatever that that trend was. That's kind of how I feel. (laughs) Like I'm like, I'm in this place where I'm like, I never saw myself here ever in a million years. And I definitely thought the world was ending at 17. And now that I'm here, I'm just kind of like, I'm grateful for where I'm at, where I'm at. And I'm very much so just like, what happens will happen. What comes to me will come to me. Of course I will, you know, we're talking short-term. I've got my solo show coming up in Worcester in, in May from May 9th to, to June 16th. And, you know, after that, I have another show that I think is going to happen. And then, you know, I'll probably keep applying and then just yeah, see where the world takes me. I'm not a planner. I'm not, you know, uh, as much as I'm looking forward to my future as well, like, you know, I'm, I I believe in myself and I believe that that good things will happen to me. I believe that they will happen when they're meant to happen. And, yeah. and I'll, I'll let that, that be. Yeah, that's beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. And I, I definitely believe things will keep happening for you. Your work is amazing. I hope everyone who listens to my podcast or follows me definitely checks out your artwork. It's impactful. Save, save some emotional energy in your tank to go look at, to go look at your work. Um, but I want to say a massive, humongous thank you for being here. And is there anything else you'd like to share? I we, We're going to link your Patreon. We're going to leave your two shows that are coming up in their dates in the show notes. 
Um, where else can we find you? What else are you up to? How can people support you? Um, I, I would say mostly just like Instagram, Patreon, TikTok. I don't post on quite as frequently anymore, but um, but Instagram I try to keep up with. Um, I I'm just grateful for anyone who who feels like they want to stop by and I don't know, leave a like or a comment or, you know, <laughs> whatever they want to do. Um, but yeah, yeah, I would say Instagram and Patreon and, you know, that's probably the, the yeah. two main ones. Perfect. Perfect. Thank you so much, Sophie. Thanks for being here. And yeah, keep in, keep in contact with me. We'll keep talking. <laughs> yeah, we will. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening and thank you for being here. I wanted to also encourage you guys to leave a review. The feedback is incredibly helpful. And if you leave a review, I will read your handle or your name on the following week's episode. Take care y'all and happy creating.